Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today we have Adam Jacoby joining us. Um, he's a founder of MyVotes, um, also um, director of Global and Strategic Innovation at Swinburne University, and teaching us a little bit today about his experiences in starting up tech products being a non-tech. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Thanks for having me. Pleasure um, to be here. Yeah, appreciate you coming out. So, uh, Adam and I connected on LinkedIn through... Um, just a, a couple of people that I know um, and reached out and he was happy to join us and share his story. Uh, predominantly around MyVote and the technology they built there, we'll explore that a little bit today. Um, in terms of um, your story, Adam, how did it all start? How did your career start? Where did it come, where did it, where did you begin? Um, I guess it started with immense failure, really. Okay. So, um, did really terribly at high school and uh, fairly quickly worked out that the pathway that was expected of me, of mm-hmm. my parents and family, yeah. uh, and the school community that I was part of, and looking at all my best friends, uh, you know, I wasn't going to become a doctor or a lawyer, so it was clear that something else had to happen, uh-huh. um, and I lu- really genuinely, luckily, fell into um, a, a startup opportunity at mm-hmm. a very young age, at 17, 18, okay. um, and so um, started my first business, mm-hmm. um, which was an athlete representation firm, so we were the, one of the first... Uh, extreme sports athlete management agencies in the world, so yeah, skateboard, snowboard. So yeah, this okay. was pre X Games, pre uh-huh. Fuel Television Network, any yep. of that stuff. Um, in fact, in fact, pre Tony Hawk skateboarder game. So, oh, so, we're, uh, we're so we were re- super yeah. early, mm-hmm. um, and you know that was really just about being the right place at the right time. So mm-hmm. when we started that business, the market was about twelve and a half million dollars, and when yes. we sold out of that business, it was thirteen billion dollars. Yes, a massive growth. Um, and so mm-hmm. you know we rode a massive wave, and mm-hmm. and one of the great things about being so young mm-hmm. and um, having a global business. So yes. we started that business in Melbourne, sold it to a public company in London mm-hmm. inside two years. Wow. I then moved to the US. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of the sale agreement was that I had to remain the CEO for five years mm-hmm. um, and, and moved to the US. Um, and, and part of that experience was really a license at that young age to make a lot of mistakes. And, yes. But nevertheless, have a lot of exposure to business deals and mm-hmm. business opportunities and um, seasoned executives that you wouldn't normally get access to and, and not a bad age anyway mm-hmm. um, and so um, yeah so it was kind of like a, a lifetime PhD or MBA <laughs> but in, in practical um, real sense and, and that then kicked off uh, about 23 24 years of startup businesses yes um, around the world mm-hmm. um, and then you know got to a point where I, I couldn't stomach the idea of startup number nine and um, <laughs> I said to my wife I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time off and uh, I wanted to start thinking about the world that my kids grow up in. And uh-huh. um, specifically, I was thinking about um, democracy and politics and their mm. view and their say. And, um, and then there was kind of a pivot for the last six or seven years into um, the not-for-profit sort of social okay. innovation space. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, you know, my wife said to me, we'll take six months off and then for God's sake, go back to work because you're driving me crazy if you're in the house. But um, that, so what brought that on? It took years. So that, that ended up being years and years. Was that just bringing children into the world that brought that on? That choice? Oh, no, I think I think it was sort of a yeah. confluence of different events. So, okay. so certainly having the kids was uh-huh. a huge part of it. Mm. Um, I've always been interested in politics and power and how people who have power wield that power yes. um, and the equity of social decision making and um, and so I just. Again, I guess with an entrepreneurial hat, I mm-hmm. wanted to 
reimagine what democracy could be if you were creating it as a startup company. Now, even though it was a not-for-profit, interesting. Um, you know, if you were going to rebuild democracy as a product that sat on a shelf, what would, um, it, look what like? would it need to do? How mm-hmm. would it need to behave? Mm-hmm. Why would customers want to use it? Why would they tell their friends about it? Um, and, and so part of that exploration was actually going back to um, sort of an ecosystem design approach, the first mm-hmm. principles approach. Mm-hmm. What is democracy meant to do? Does mm-hmm. it actually do that? If mm-hmm. not, why not? Mm-hmm. And, and so that journey ended up being several years, which wasn't anticipated, but was um, really worthwhile. And then in understanding um, not just democracy here, because I guess initially the exploration started with you know, Australia, because I'm interested in where my, ki- where my kids are growing up. Yes. Right? Um, but then I started looking at, well, how does that compare to democracy in the US? And mm-hmm. how does it vary in Greece? And how does it um, compare to India? And, and so as you start making those explorations, what you see is that there are a whole variety of erosions into systems um, that are not unique to Australia. In mm. fact, that they are problems of the way democracy has been, been designed in general. Okay. Um, and that wherever you look, it doesn't get delivered the way it was intended to deliver it. How and, was it intended to be delivered? Well, you know, demo- yeah. so d- democracy is about yeah. the, the enactment of the will of the people. Mm-hmm. And so there is no place in the world where mm-hmm. the people's will is actually being enacted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if you make the argument that it should enact the will of the people, mm-hmm. there are then, you know, fairly significant challenges to ensure that you eradicate some of the problems that can emerge from that. So mm-hmm. if you have the will of the people, but the people aren't informed with fact, then actually that's more dangerous. That's populism, right? Yeah. Or if you have the will of the people and they're informed, but Mm -hmm. um, elected representatives aren't held to account to listen to them, Mm -hmm. well, then what's the point of asking them in the first place? And so what you learn as you go through it, it's an ecosystem challenge. And by by making one intervention, Mm -hmm. won't fix the whole thing. The whole thing. And so what you realise is, over time for us, we realised that there were about a dozen interventions that had to be made simultaneously. And so we then redesigned what that system would look like. Mm-hmm. And then, um, secondary to the design of how it should work, mm-hmm. a, a techie approached us. In fact, somebody you've had on your show, James yeah. Skeller, was sitting in the audience one day uh-huh. on a speech that I was giving somewhere or other. I think it might have been in South Melbourne. Okay, so not too far from here. Uh, and, yeah. and he said, I can build it. I can actually make that happen. Mm-hmm. So everything you're talking about mm-hmm. can be aided by technology. And yeah. We can put it technological lens over it mm-hmm. and at the time he was talking about blockchain and crypto and i didn't understand what any of those things were at the time but um, okay. now you know for, for better or worse i have a pretty good comprehension <laughs> of all of it um but but yeah and you know and together jamie and and, and then the my vote movement yes um ended up building the world's first ever functional blockchain voting platform um and it's so quite kind of it all thing. started from yes. there so yeah no, and to take you a few steps back on that so Throughout your journey, you've obviously started up a number of different companies. Have there any been tech-related pre-MyVote, or was that the first venture into some more technical stuff? Um, so when you say tech, I mean, there was tech involved in everything. Yes. But yeah. um, but if they were driven by technology, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think anything I do yeah. is really driven by technology. Yeah, I understand. But, but technology becomes an enabler for mm-hmm. everything that needs to be done. Uh, and it's a huge point that we that you make there because in reality, anyone that's out there starting a concept and idea, it really is just an enabler. Um, and I think people get lost in the technology and being this is what it's all about and this is the reason why we're building this and this is going to change everything. But in, in essence, we're just trying to deliver a different form um, or a different means of delivering a different outcome. And yeah. that's what technology can do for us. That's exactly yeah. right. And, you know, and, yeah. in, and in that that approach, if I look at the ecosystem in which we've uh-huh. built products, this kind mm. of 
governance, government, mm -hmm. demtech, govtech kind yeah. of space. Um, you know, to me, the one, the, the products that miss the mark the most mm -hmm. are ones that are being built by techies for techies mm. without a context of the environment in mm -hmm. which they're trying to fit. So we were having a conversation earlier about market fit, right? Yeah. So we did all the work on understanding what the market needed before we built the product. Yes. Whereas a lot of techies will say, I can build X, therefore mm -hmm. I will build it. And yeah. then we'll figure out which market we should put it in. And I've been there, done that, and it doesn't work out very <laughs> no, it well. never works, right? It, it can't <laughs> work because, uh -huh. or, it, or if it works, it works by accident. Uh -huh. um, you know, you, and so a big part of what I do at the university is I sit in the innovation entrepreneurial space. Uh -huh. Um, and, you know, I oversee the content for the accelerator program and the pre-accelerator okay. program and stuff. Uh -huh. So I deal with startups all day, every day. Mm -hmm. um, and more often than not, what you find is um, where startups are missing the mark, the distinction between great startups and, and ordinary startups, mm -hmm. um, the great ones can articulate very quickly the problem that they're trying to solve, mm -hmm. um, how they know, so how they have validated yes. that their solution is a solution that the market might be interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than just saying, well, we're really good at facial recognition and so we're building facial recognition. But okay. actually saying, this is how it's going to be used. We've identified in this particular market, mm -hmm. this is how it strengthens the proposition yeah. or adds value. Mm -hmm. and, and they've done all of that pre-work mm. um, to ascertain what the, market, what the genuine addressable market size is as mm -hmm. opposed to the universe of markets. You know, often we'll see, we'll see startups, we'll see people say, you know, they might be in the soccer space. We have no soccer space not not mm -hmm. too long ago and you say what's your market well there are, you know there are three billion people who play soccer, play soccer. Yeah, but that's mm -hmm. not your market mm -hmm. because you're only in australia and you're only doing it online mm -hmm. and right now you can only do it on apple so your your market has gone from three billion to about a hundred thousand and of those hundred thousand yeah. there are only so many that can mm -hmm. afford a hundred dollars a month and mm -hmm. so now you're down to about three thousand yes and so just the ability to understand mm -hmm. where it fits what it is whether it's financially viable uh -huh. you know that, that's where there's a lot of gaps in that space and I think you touched on it really. It's really the tech jumps into a product and builds it. And it's just, and you might mention there, like an AI product, but you're not really solving any problem. You're just trying to slap a product into any market. And that's really dangerous. I think if you want a niche, you want to understand who your product market fit or who your product for, what your customers look like. Do they want to buy this thing? Yep. Do they perceive value in this? And it's a very different conversation to let's just build some technology. Now, my vote. So you were obviously pulling this together. It was something that you thought of for a little while and then you met Jamie. So yeah. how did you go from concept to then starting to deliver some technology that might frame what you're trying to achieve there? Yeah, so it, so it, was, a, it, was, it was a really interesting time because uh -huh. there were um, a variety of verticals that were being built at the same time, uh, none of which we really understood. So we had a sense of what the interve the political intervention mm -hmm. was and okay. the, the structural intervention was to the political system mm -hmm. um, but we didn't know a if anybody was interested in that conversation or if it was just us government geeks policy okay. geeks yep. um, we didn't know if the technology a would work and b would be widely accepted because blockchain mm -hmm. was still so new yes and they were, you know like every all new tech people mm -hmm. are skeptical and early adopters don't really get the cut through in the volume that you really want um, and so it, particularly with like genuine breakthroughs like blockchain and yes. crypto and ai people are nervous before they're comfortable and they're nervous when you're pushing it into government which is even nervous yeah. again just by yeah. by definition so it's very interesting. and so we were yeah. building you know uh -huh. 
part of part of it was we were trying to build the narrative and comms and get yeah. validation there. Mm-hmm. Part of it was building brand and, and we were built, trying to get validation there. Yeah. Um, then we were trying to have the policy structural ecosystem conversation and uh-huh. you know depict that. And we'd done a lot of work with politicians and business leaders and religious leaders, community leaders around mm-hmm. the world in in actually sitting with them, explaining what the process was and the intervention was. To have them go, oh, that doesn't quite work, and you haven't gone far enough here, or you've gone too far there, or so you work. So we did a lot makers. of that yeah, to, okay. to have them go, oh, yes, this would work or mm-hmm. wouldn't. And then we got to a point where a few former heads of state, presidents, mm-hmm. prime ministers, had sort of said, shit, this could actually work. You know, this is this is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it will work, but it mm-hmm. could work. Could. You've kind of thought through these things, mm-hmm. and then we had the Jamie's piece, and the Jamie's piece was, mm-hmm. um, and you know, for anybody who knows Jamie, he's kind of a, a no nonsense guy, yeah. so. He kind of came in and he said, well, I can just, I'll just build it, mm-hmm. which is Jamie's way. So there's no mucking around. Yeah. So, um, and he said, you know, have you considered doing this on blockchain? Uh-huh. And I said, what's blockchain? And he uh-huh. explained it to me. And he said, this is the advantages of doing it the way that, that you're intending yes. to do it. And all these things that you weren't quite sure how to do, mm-hmm. blockchain is going to solve for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he said, I'll just go and do it. And we, at the same time, we were also, because we were getting a bit of press and for mm-hmm. some, for some reason, mm-hmm. it was becoming, you know, the intervention of tech into government whilst it had you know it had been in the taxi space it had been in yes. the tra- travel space it had made a number of industry interventions all of a sudden there wasn't a lot mm-hmm. in the gov tech dem tech space mm-hmm. and so we got quite a bit of media for quite a period of time and as a result of that some people came out of the woodwork and sort of said hey that's interesting i'm prepared to give you some money for that um, like philanthropists mm-hmm. and so one philanthropist in particular um came to us and um gave us a chunk of money right off the bat. In fact, uh-huh. um, I didn't know him, but he saw the the original, you know, I guess I'd call it a positioning statement. Mm-hmm. Some people in the movement used to call it the manifesto, but I hate that. Um, <laughs> and look, he read that document and he, he said, he sent me an email and he said, look, you don't know me, but I know somebody that you know and I've read this thing that you, you put together about my vote and what you're building. Um, I've got eight grandkids. I'm going to uh-huh. send you $5,000 for each one of those grandkids. Mm-hmm. There's 40 grand coming in the mail. In that's, the mail. that's the world I want them to grow up in. Beautiful. And so that mm. was the beginning. And we took that 40 and we gave it, the vast majority of it to Jamie. Mm-hmm. And he then built, built some the tech. first model. Mm-hmm. Um, that particular donor ended up giving us probably close to 2 million over a number of years. Oh, wow. But okay. um, but that really kicked off the movement. Mm-hmm. It meant we could go, you know, we could hire staff. It meant mm-hmm. we could be in multiple locations at once. It meant yes. we could build a brand. We could build legal protection, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. He gave us an office, a giant warehouse in Collingwood. Okay. Um, you know, so that, and then Jamie built this this tech platform. Uh-huh. We then put it into beta test in the market. So we, we, you know, we didn't promote it much. We didn't do a lot of anything other than sort of saying to the the facebook twitter mm-hmm. community who are interested in politics hey here's a different way of looking at the way we can make decisions as a community mm-hmm. um you know we ran the first vote i think we only had about four or five hundred people who voted and then and then by the sixth or seventh we were in four or five thousand person territory okay which if you so look at growth, if yeah. you look at the, the poll like political polling mm-hmm. um those numbers are two three times bigger than a, you know a news poll or a guardian mm-hmm. poll or so, so you start to get some some meat on the bone there so in terms of um, your first version of technology, this was built for my vote um, mm-hmm. at that time, and that was on the blockchain, was it? And yep. that, yeah, okay. Uh, so it was all on Ethereum blockchain technology. Yep. So if anyone doesn't know much about crypto space, I'm sure everyone's heard it in the news. Um, so you were really early in that. What year were we looking at here? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I would say that that was about... two. 
2006, 2007. That early? Yeah. Okay, We wow. were super early. Yeah, that's very early. Okay, so you were that early into the piece that you were pushing out blockchain even... No, with... sorry. We, no, the, the movement would have started 2006, yep. 2007. Okay. We probably put the product in market mm -hmm. 2014, 15. Okay, so it was, was it, the tech in the market. Yeah, okay. So still pre-the blow-up in terms of... Um, yeah blockchain clearly so ethereum was what you built it on from what i know yep yep okay so that was the, the ethereum era um, but very early the cost of ethereum would have been cents yep um from what i imagine at that time from what i'm thinking back so yeah this was that early that probably government didn't know what you're talking about at that time yeah yes yeah. that's true mm -hmm. but but the conversations mm -hmm. we were having with government were mm -hmm. not about the technology anyway yeah. They're actually about yeah. the way that you go to people, the community, uh -huh. and have them make decisions. Get it. And then we were just saying, and yeah. look, the way we do that is through technology. Yes. But they didn't understand yeah. blockchain. They yeah. didn't, that yeah. wasn't the conversation. Okay, so you kept that out of the conversation. What was the positioning statement for the business? Like, what were you trying to solve? Were you trying to solve voting for um, politics, or just more? No, we were we were trying to solve yeah. for real democracy. So yeah, okay. what we were saying is. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't have real democracy. Uh -huh. This is what de real democracy means and mm. what it should look like. Mm -hmm. And here is a method that we can yes. collectively use, okay. which will give us a greater chance mm. of actually having real democracy. Mm. Try it out for yourself, mm -hmm. effectively. Yes. You know, it'll take you 15 minutes maximum and you'll uh -huh. be able to have a say on something that somebody will be held accountable to. Get it. You know, see what it's like to actually have choices that are not based upon, mm -hmm. you know, blue or red or green, yes. left and right. Uh -huh. um, see what it's like to have facts provided to mm. you so you can make those choices mm. um, and then cast a vote and do it really quickly and uh -huh. easily on your phone and that's yes. the way you vote and that's the way your voice gets heard as opposed to going to vote every three years and standing in a queue and getting a democracy uh -huh. sausage and, 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 and that's how it works, <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Because people confuse democracy for elections. They're yes. completely different things. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we were trying to do is bring the, de the democratic experience mm -hmm. to life more mm -hmm. and do it in a way that we could go back to the politicians and say, um, look at the kind of uptake we have and mm -hmm. look at the interest in policy conversations yes. and look at the richness of conversation as opposed to your binary, you say this, so I have to say that. Uh -huh. um, and, and look at the way that you can actually give people information so mm -hmm. that they're better informed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's fair to say that around the world there are heads of state and political parties and governments who really embrace that and there are those who are really fearful of it. Yeah, because then they've got direct accountability. In, yeah. in reality, we're looking at putting an app in the hands of our community and then voting on every little bit and piece. I'd imagine that's where your vision was, so you can actually have well, a say. Well, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not yeah. quite like that. Yeah, okay. So it's not every little bit and piece, yeah. but, uh -huh. but it is sort of the major pieces. Okay. The, the way that my vote works is we talk about um, sort of destinational questions mm -hmm. as opposed to... Let, we don't ever put up legislation. Right. So if you look at a lot of the other technology in the space they have decided to digitize the existing conversation, which is, do you support the bill or do you not support the bill, mm. right? The problem with that is mm. if you're working on a 50% plus one yes. majority mm -hmm. and you're talking about legislation, mm -hmm. the vast majority of people mm. don't have time or any interest in reading a thousand page piece of legislation. And to build the right? context around that to actually yeah. put a vote in. Yeah, and there's so much complexity in those documents. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we talk about destination. So for, I'll give you an example. So okay. the last vote that we ran was an energy vote, uh -huh. a timely kind yeah. of given climate change. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
if you look at what the government and what the opposition in Australia had been talking about for a couple of years, mm-hmm. both of them had just been talking about the price to consumers. So mm-hmm. how much our energy cost us. Yes. And everybody's, it was like a Coles ad, right? Everybody's talking about the prices down. We're going to bring the prices down. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we went to the community and we said, surely the conversation is more nuanced than that. Okay. Um, so the question that we ask, and we always ask broad questions, they're curated in a very particular way. Mm-hmm. You have to go through an ethics and a governance committee, and there's a, anyway, there's a whole thing mm-hmm. that I won't get into here. Um, but, but the question that we asked was, when it comes to energy policy, do you want your government to prioritise, A, price to the consumer, mm-hmm. B, um, baseload energy for the economy? So that would, if, if that was the majority position, then that would um, introduce the nuclear conversation, as an example. Get it. C, would you like them to prioritise international obligations, so Kyoto, Paris, etc.? Or would you like them to prioritise carbon emissions reduction? So it's more directional. Now I get that. Yeah, it's a general Mm -hmm. direction. And then the policy gets built around the majority Mm -hmm. direction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with that particular vote, um, we expected when we put the vote out that overwhelmingly people would say price to the consumer. Yes. So only 24% of people said price to the consumer. That's not what I would have expected no, at all. Every vote yeah. we ever ran surprised us, yeah. every single one. Interesting. Uh, the, so it was 24% price to the consumer, 11% base load energy to the economy, uh-huh. 84% um, uh, international obligations, 88% carbon emissions reduction as oh, a wow. priority. And the way that we can get those percentages, because uh-huh. people are now going that way, yeah, doesn't make any fucking sense, yes, right? <laughs> uh, the way that we do it, and the, and the reason that, that my vote is unique... Uh-huh. Um, uh, and some would say kind of special in, yes. in its modeling mm-hmm. is that we always offer four choices uh-huh. they're always destinational non-binary choices uh-huh. we let people vote for as many or as few as they think they can live with would be good for the country okay and then we look for real consensus so mm-hmm. we don't have a policy position mm-hmm. a mandated position that any elected official needs to be held accountable to mm-hmm. unless we have a minimum of 60 percent all right. Right. And when we started this, so many, many years ago, every political professor in the world was saying to us, even with technology, mm-hmm. you're never going to get 60% majority on any of these issues. Yeah. It's not possible. We ran seven votes. We've never had less than 60%. Not once. <laughs> uh, because people are able, when you're not saying this is the Labor position and this is the Liberal position, uh-huh. you just go, what do you think is good for the country? Mm. People have a different sense. And when okay. they're able to, and we also, part of our model is that with all four of those choices, you get information packs Mm -hmm. so there's we've never had less than 150 research reports Mm -hmm. which are peer-reviewed factual reports reports Mm -hmm. free for anybody to use okay now most people only about two percent of people go into those reports and want to do that real deep dive i imagine there's not going to be many jumping into 150 reports but but there is a Mm -hmm. small information pack that takes about six minutes to go through which is just the dot points for each one of those four choices it's a good summary and if you don't open the info pack for all four your voting light never goes on so uh, we say, if you choose not to inform yourself, we choose not to listen to you. Understand. Because that's your responsibility in a democracy. Mm-hmm. We give you the opportunity to have a say on everything, mm-hmm. which is your democratic right, mm-hmm. but you have to know what you're talking about before you make that choice because it affects everybody. Get it. Yeah, not just throwing darts at a dartboard saying, yeah, I think this is right. Or I'm voting for yeah. them because that's the party that I like or because yes. my parents voted for them. Yeah. Actually understanding the issue and going, no, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. Or... or for instance, you can have more than one idea. So, for example, with asylum seekers, mm. you could vote for a, a, a one that says, well, I, I want border protection, yes. but I also want to treat uh, asylum seekers humanely. Mm. Right now, our political system doesn't allow us to have those choices. You're taking one or yeah, the other. other yes. But you're going, actually, both of these things are really important to mm. me, that we protect our borders mm. and we're, we're good to people mm. and people shouldn't be punished 
for fleeing a terrible place in the world. Correct. And so we're looking for that nuance. There's a balance there that we're trying to find, but yeah, we don't have a balance as one or the other. Yeah, and what it does is it takes that ideological pressure Mm -hmm. out of the conversation, and that is not possible without technology. So Mm -hmm. it's one of these things where Mm -hmm. technology is the enabler, but without it, there is no way you could run the MyVote system. It just couldn't work. Get it. So obviously Jamie was very pivotal to building that platform. So... Talk about your team. How did you structure your team for my vote? Obviously, there was yourself involved. You, you, you knew that some technology might be needed to deliver this. How did you go about finding the right people to build that team? Yeah, so look, early on, like a lot of not-for-profit organizations, and it's, we are a not-for-profit, so we were never about making a dollar. Yeah. Most, everything we did was, so it was free to join, it was free to use, it was free to get the information, it was free to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no cost on anybody, right? Okay. So now that was both um, by design, but also became uh, a real challenge for it, for the organization mm-hmm. because we also then went a step further in looking for democratic purity and said, well, we also can't take corporate money of any kind. And okay. so we were offered a ton <laughs> of money, like tens of millions of dollars mm-hmm. from technology companies overseas who said, we want it, we'll build it for you. We'll give you the platform. Uh-huh. We, you know, we'll pay to be involved, but we want to co-own it or we want to own it. Mm. And once you give democracy to a corporation, it's, it's no longer democracy, no right? Correct. So, mm-hmm. so we, we had to say no to those things. And then we baked into our, our yeah. organizational constitution uh-huh. that we couldn't take that. So that became a challenge. So uh-huh. in the early days, everybody that we worked with were volunteers uh-huh. um, and we had to make do with what we had. Now, as it turns out, we were super fortunate. The people who were volunteering early were in, incredibly capable people. Um, we had great Marcoms people, great activists, great um, writers, yes. terrific researchers. Um, and so what we tried to do was um, understand all of the uh, vertical mm-hmm. pillars that needed to be built. So we had a community development pillar, mm-hmm. we had a technology pillar, we had a Marcoms pillar, we had a governance and leadership pillar, mm-hmm. we had a, a government relations pillar, and we tried to assign volunteers that best fit. When it came to technology, though, it was slightly different. Okay. Um, so we really lent on Jamie in particular in the first instance, uh-huh. but then as that team grew out, mm-hmm. um, a group of people who had the required expertise, mm-hmm. we went out and hired a tech, he oversaw effectively a tech firm mm-hmm. that built the first iteration for us. Okay. Um, so and you- so he built the scoping document, we did a number of interviews about this is what we need it to do and this mm-hmm. is how the product needs to behave and mm-hmm. you know this is what the immediate MVP needs to be mm-hmm. and eventually we'd like to grow out into these areas. So let's take a couple of steps back there. So. You had Jamie pulling this all together from the top level saying, how do we build deliver, build and deliver an MVP? Pulling apart all the important bits of information and building a strategy behind your technology. Yep, and, yep. and then overseeing the uh-huh. company who was actually doing the coding. Get it. Um, and making sure that they were on track and making sure that it was meeting our requirements. Understand. Yep. Uh, and the first version of the product did that. So uh-huh. our, at the MVP that, that was originally yep. launched did exactly what we needed it to do. It didn't have any bugs. It wasn't uh-huh. the way it was meant to work. Uh-huh. Subsequent versions, that wasn't the case. Okay. And in fact, the Horizon mm. nightmare um, was a whole different story. Okay. But um, but that first version, those first beta tests, mm. um, were really well built and did exactly what we needed. The challenge there um, was that as crypto was becoming and blockchain was becoming more regular and prices mm. were starting to go up, mm. what we were learning is that it was actually a counterintuitive process in that it, it was going to cost the more successful we became in terms of users yes the more 
financially challenging it was going to be to run. Yeah, I understand that. And so that was kind of a learning curve as we were going. If no one understands the crypto market and as it blew up, as it, the cost of Ethereum expanded and grew, that meant the cost of you actually running a process on Ethereum also grew. Um, yeah, so it was cheap to begin with uh, as it got to two, $300 per coin, it became quite expensive pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the... Um, so during that time of uncertainty in terms of costs, how did you approach that? Well, so at that point, we got so we did the beta test. Uh-huh. Uh, we satisfied ourselves that it worked, mm-hmm. um, and then we we hit. So we had this enormous peak at the time um, of um, international interest and uptake, mm-hmm. and so at that point we had about thirty-five countries around the world who were wanting to start my vote chapters. Yes, which we like. We never anticipated that that would happen. That's, um, that's and and we were standing on platforms and giving mm. speeches. You know, yeah. spoke at World Economic Forum. We spoke at oh. March for Our Lives with Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg. We, mm. You know, we were on stages we never imagined we'd be as well. <laughs> and so this whole thing just kind of exploded in 24, 36 months. Yes. Um, and we were meeting heads of state and governments and people. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there was some first mover advantage mm-hmm. component to it. So we had been in the yeah. space longer than others. Yes. We were also the first people to actually build what we what everybody mm-hmm. was talking about. So uh-huh. there were a ton of other digital democracy movements yes. who were talking about how blockchain could do it, but hadn't actually built Delivered anything it. yet. Mm. Um, I, I think the other thing is that our model is a holistic approach, mm-hmm. whereas others were sort of targeted pinpoint interventions. Mm-hmm. And for governments, that the, the one thing they did realize is that um, that targeted pinpoint piece would only, as an investment, as a governing, government investment, would only take them so far. Mm. Um, but the holistic approach is the thing that could actually make the difference and, okay. and solve the problem, or at least go a way of solving the problem. Um, and so as all of that was happening, um, and in fact, specifically, it was really post World Economic Forum, um, we were approached by a number of corporations uh-huh. who were saying, listen, you know, great product, we couldn't care less about politics, but um, the fact that you can do anonymous voting on, yes. on multiple areas is really interesting for us as a business. We'd like to use it as a consumer marketing polling piece, or we'd like, you know, uh-huh. we had a very large accounting firm around the world uh-huh. come to us out of Spain and say, we want to use it for all of our multinational um, corporations to do shareholder votes. And so all of a sudden they're saying, you know, we want to license the product from you, but not use it for politics. So as a board, we had to sit back and go, well, fuck, we can't take the money because we're constitutionally not allowed to take corporate money. What are we going to do? So we then came together and said, right, what we're going to do is decouple the technology and Mm. spin it out effectively. Okay, and that was the born of Horizon State? This was how Horizon State was created. Ah, understand. So this was... From an integrity and values perspective, uh-huh. the best decision we ever made. Yes. And from a commercial perspective, the worst decision I've ever made in 25 plus years of business. Okay. So We'll get into that. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, I, I really clearly remember that board meeting. It was a very, very long board meeting. Yeah. It was hours and hours that day. Uh-huh. Um, and we made a series of very calculated decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first decision was that we were going to spin the technology out because yes. to not spin the technology out uh-huh. meant that we had to become a technology company, which we didn't want to be. We were a political activist movement, right? I understand. Um, so that was decision one. We had to spin it out. Mm-hmm. The other thing was, um, one of the things, as this was coming to a head with the, politi- the, the corporate interest, we also had recognised that for a long time we were saying that political parties were the problem, mm-hmm. and yet 
we were kind of aspiring to be a political party, which there was no integrity in that. Yeah, so we had made a decision at that same board meeting, in fact, it was the first decision of that board meeting, mm-hmm. uh, that we would never become a political party. Mm-hmm. And what, the, what that resulted in was that we would support independent candidates around the world, uh-huh. but we wouldn't support parties. So if we're going to support independent candidates, then the nature of the technological platform needs to be different because it's not just a voting mechanism, but mm-hmm. for an independent candidate, it's how do you raise money and how do you communicate and how, you know, how do you build communities online. What was that decision made that you wouldn't support parties but independents? Um, so it goes back to the heart of the democratic question mm-hmm. and ultimately parties are driven by ideology. Mm-hmm. And what ideology does, where, you know, independent yeah. of whether you tend to subscribe to their view of the world or not, mm-hmm. um, so whether you're left-leaning or right-leaning, that those parties that yes. best align with those views or the, that those leanings um, take an ideological approach to every issue. Uh-huh. And what it means is that that ideology ordinarily supersedes facts and data. Okay. And if you are not taking a solutions-oriented approach to the problems, mm-hmm. and climate change is a great example, coronavirus is another great yes. example. Right. If you are not right. listening yeah. to yeah. the science uh-huh. and you are taking an ideological lens, actually mm-hmm. you are... A, being undemocratic, B, doing the the community a disservice. Mm. So we're saying you can't actually be a representative group as part of a party Uh if you're underpinned by a particular worldview. Interesting. We want you to be led by facts and data on an issue-by-issue basis Uh that says sometimes our answers and the best policy might look a little bit right, Mm. sometimes it might look a little bit left, Mm. but actually that doesn't matter because if it's the best data available Mm. and it solves the problem that we're trying to solve and the majority of people want it, Yes. That's the best version of democracy. And it clearly is, right? right. So, given that, you've decided to support so spin it out. independence. So, spinning out technology, that could then serve some corporates too, potentially. Yes, uh, so the intent then was yeah. very clear. So, uh-huh. we, so, Jamie, at that point, was still on the board. He yes. was the chief technologist uh-huh. on the board. Uh-huh. Uh, it was decided that we would spin it out. Jamie and a couple of others mm. would become the founders of that technology business. Okay. And so a couple of rules were, were created. The first rule was that nobody from my vote could sit on Horizon State's board, uh-huh. and nobody from Horizon State could sit on my vote's board. They separation. had to be completely separate. Okay. In addition, we couldn't be involved in them raising money. We uh-huh. couldn't be involved in any of their decision making. Interesting. But and this is where it got interesting. And I think uh-huh. the model that we created was really strong. Uh-huh. The operationalizing that model was really yes. poor in hindsight. Okay. Um, so the first rule was um, we would give them all of the IP that had been created in my vote uh-huh. for free, or no upfront charge. Okay. So Jamie took what he built, mm-hmm. we put it into Horizon State, mm-hmm. we helped handpick the other two founders, so yes. the three co-founders. Uh-huh. Um, How did you pick the founders? Uh, so out of the tech, we were looking yeah. for very specific things, uh-huh. tech community, growth, mm-hmm. startup land, yeah. um, global experience, yes. um, ideally people who had worked with government clients or very senior sector clients okay. um, and, and, and had built enterprise level product. Mm-hmm. So that's what yeah. kind of what we were looking for. And so between the three that we had, we thought the three of them covered all the key areas that we required. Mm-hmm. Um, we then made a decision, that, so we would give them the IP, they would use that P, IP to build their business. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't take any ownership of that business because we couldn't. Because we couldn't. <laughs> However, um, what we were going to do were, were a few key things. So we were going to make them create a foundation uh-huh. so that they could donate a percentage of their revenues to us okay. as a donation yeah. 
quarterly. Mm-hmm. And so their growth meant we could keep funding mm-hmm. the not-for-profit movement. Okay, makes sense. Um, and, that there, and then there was an industry carve-out. So they could go and make money anywhere they wanted using the technology, um, any sector. But if it was government or NGO, it yes. had to come through us. Okay. That was the rule. So that was the delineation. Mm-hmm. Um, and notionally, that made a lot of strategic sense for everybody. It does. And should have operationalized really well. Okay. The problem, <laughs> well, the problem yeah. was that, that there were people who were running that business mm-hmm. who, it, it appears in hindsight, didn't really believe in any of the values that we set the business up for. Okay. Um, and made decisions that were counter oh. to the benefit of the not-for-profit organization, oh. um, which was the reason that business was set up in the Existed first place. anyway, yeah. Yeah. And so that was massively disappointing for us. Um, okay. But it was a good lesson learned. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and given that you're not on the board and had no say, you we had no anything. control. We couldn't do anything about it. So, yeah, okay. so, for, so for example, you know, there were little things like uh, one of the critical things in the const- in the way that we set them up um, was that my vote had to always. We were effectively a foundational client, yes. which meant that they could build whatever they wanted, but they had to build for us first. Okay. Well, that never happened. Not one, they did never delivered a single product to us. Oh. So it, we had built our own product, and then even the product that we gave them, they still wouldn't give back to us. So we missed, as a result of that, I missed, you know, we had done a deal with the March for Our Lives people and, yes. and the, a couple of gun groups in the US uh-huh. to run a, a gun vote in America. Yep. I publicly announced it on stage in front of uh-huh. thousands of people. That's a huge Major rally, rally mm. never delivered the product. Mm-hmm. Um, we announced in newspaper in Des Moines, Iowa, that we were going to run a water vote. Um, I heard all this news coming out because I was actually following. No product. Mm. So, you know, and, and we've got to a point where they'd, they'd, we'd been let down a few times um, and I I then got nervous because it was also my reputation. I mean, I'm the one out there doing these interviews and I'm the one on, on yes. stage. And and particularly with the, the gun vote, because it was a big audience. It was probably, mm. other than World Economic Forum, the biggest platform we'd have to be on stage with Emma Gonzalez and all these people. Yes. And I remember calling the day before and I called one of the people in, in the organisation uh-huh. And I said, I'm getting on stage tomorrow and I'm announcing that we're running a vote on this month in October. I need an assurance that this bloody thing is going to be ready mm. because I'm not going to say it if, I, if you can't guarantee me now. And I was categorically told it will be ready. ready. It's nearly done. You have not, we're just testing. And this was in um, August. Okay. Um, and so I made the announcement, mm. sailed past the due date, still no product. Uh, but product was getting released for German soccer clubs and product was being released for other paying customers and for a political party in New Zealand, but still nothing for us because we weren't paying anything. So what? Because you weren't paying anything. Yeah, because we were a foundational client who didn't have to pay. God. So, so, so look, these were these yeah, okay. lessons, right? Yeah. So, so again, they built good product. They built products yes. that worked. Uh-huh. Um, so again, in some ways, it was a validation that what we wanted to build was buildable. Yeah. So that was the first thing. Clearly, if they're solving um, problems for other people, and what, yeah. And what we yeah. were able to validate on the non-technology side was that the product was in demand. Mm. So you know, in many regards, these were very positive yeah. messages. Uh-huh. Um, what we weren't able to do was control the technology company that was enabling that would have enabled us mm. to deliver on our promises. Interesting. Um, and so we then got to a point where there was some rearrangement of people there uh-huh. um, and the last CEO and I had a we, I'd sort of publicly had said we're not working with them anymore we're going to find alternatives okay uh, and the, the new the final CEO reached out to me uh-huh. um, from New Zealand and said no 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 we want to 
we yes. were created because of you guys. Yeah. We want to build a relationship back uh-huh. again. And, and we had a series of great conversations. Mm-hmm. And we had started to kind of signpost and peg yep. where we were going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then circumstances that were outside of our control but were happening to them independently uh-huh. um, made them um, choose to, to shut up shop. Okay. Uh, which honestly came as much as a surprise to us as anybody else. Um, and again, it was sort of, we thought we were finally back on the road to getting things the way they needed to be. Okay. And then all of that happened. So where did that leave you? Well, we're, so we're rebuilding the product ourselves internally again. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that in the UK and India at the moment. Oh, so you have to basically start from scratch again, even yeah. though you had the technology you originally had it built. Yeah. At least part of it, the MVP. So you're basically just starting from scratch. Yeah. And so look, we've got a great tech team now out of the uh-huh. UK. So okay. we're, we're building in India, but yeah. the design and the product and scoping is yes. happening out of the UK. Uh-huh. Um, you know, one of our, our senior team members was a senior vice president of IBM and built an entire global market for IBM and just okay, exceptional. So got great people involved. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 my vote, as of very recently, like yes. literally in the last three four months, uh-huh. um, has signed a contract with the PEG program. I don't know if you know the PEG program. No, I don't know much. Yeah. It's amazing, and I'm uh-huh. I'm really pushing hard for government members here in Australia to kind of replicate the the project. Okay. It's a brilliant policy. Um, so the PEG. You, comes out of the um, Innovation Council of the UK, mm-hmm. which sits inside the Office of Prime Minister and Cabinet in the UK. Okay. And the PEG is a program um, that is effectively, the UK is looking to do two things. Mm-hmm. They look for global technologies yes. that they think will A, build reputational value for the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. um, and B, um, will be able to build economies and scale and jobs and so forth there in the UK. And so what they do is they say, look, if you're prepared to domicile, move your business mm-hmm. to the UK, we'll give you a whole suite of incentives to do that. Okay. So some of it is priority on government contracts and mm-hmm. government grants and access to philanthropists mm-hmm. and venture capitalists. And, and so we, so we signed that contract. Innovation, right? yep. 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 And so we, signed, we were the first, as far as I'm aware, we're the first not-for-profit to ever be accepted into the PG. Uh-huh. Um, we signed that contract in December last year. Nice. Um, we then set up a not-for-profit organization, which is now done in the UK. Mm-hmm. We have a team of people there. Okay. Um, and they are rebuilding the product right now under the PG program. Oh, so you're basically starting all over again from yep. a developer perspective. Okay. Yeah, we're starting all over yep. again, but we know the parts of the technology that worked really well. Um, we can take the learning, right? Huge mm-hmm. learnings from the experience. Yep. And we still have all of the market relationships uh-huh. at government level and others okay, to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, a, you know, there's an ongoing debate, and, and I'm personally of the view that crypto is not necessary, mm-hmm. that we shouldn't be tokenizing the vote. Um, <laughs> Others it, yeah, yeah, have yeah. a different perspective about that. It's not, necess- oh, it's not it's, necessary for what we want. Yeah, from what you're doing, you're just looking. We need the blockchain, but yes. I don't think we need the tokenization. I understand that. Um, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I understand the secondary market value mm-hmm. of being able to have a tradable um, piece mm-hmm. within the organization, mm-hmm. but it's not core business for us. And so it made sense for Horizon, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really make sense for my vote. Yeah, in terms of tokenizing it, it's about creating value in it. It's about growing the value of that and that's the more votes you have obviously on your your ecosystem the more value that token is going to be worth but is that what you're looking but that, for that, yeah that's not yeah. the purpose right? no not at all because the value yeah. isn't what we're doing we're not for profit organization exactly. so yeah. um, so from our point of view what we just need is um, an auditable anonymous yes um, 
voting platform which mm-hmm. blockchain provides it does, yeah um, and then you know then the, then the interesting questions now which were not questions at the time because they uh-huh. weren't technologically available uh-huh. is whether it's an open source blockchain yes. or it's a private blockchain or yeah. you know so there are the so many different options now yeah. yeah so in terms of private blockchain could be okay if you've got enough um, sources actually yeah, yes. running transactions so then you're yeah if you distribute it enough you're okay yeah if you've got one then it's not it's just more as a database and it's the same that's thing. exactly right so so these yeah. are the kind of conversations uh-huh. that are taking place now. understand that so it's a obviously shifted completely in terms of where it sort of started from so um the learning from that obviously clearly the process didn't work what do you think that's because you let go of control from the organization or do you think you had the wrong people involved in that organization yeah it's an interesting question um i, I think it's a little of column a and a little of column yeah. b um uh-huh. so and, and there were more learnings than just mm-hmm. those so mm-hmm. uh, I, I think the first thing is we yeah certainly we let go of too much control uh-huh. Um, and, and not control for the sake of control, but control to ensure um, that we could have people deliver on their promises. Mm. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm less concerned about um, having a say on their board yes. than I was about making sure my product got delivered. Yeah, correct. That's what I was worried about, right? Mm. And I had no recourse because I'm not a paying customer. Mm-hmm. I don't sit on their board, you know, and I was still speaking to the CEO every day. It made no freaking difference at all. So, mm-hmm. so that, that's part of the problem, right? So, so that control was an issue. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think we made an error in having a non my vote person head up the organization. Uh-huh. And when we were distributing those roles, yes, we could have distributed them in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. And I think, for example, had Jamie been the CEO, mm-hmm. I don't think what happened with, with Horizon to my vote would have happened. Would have happened. Yeah, okay. um, and so that was a huge learning for us. Uh-huh. Um, so was Jamie moved over to Horizon State? So Jamie, Jamie moved, moved over as yeah. one of the co-founders, yes. but he was the head of product. Okay, so he headed up the product, but didn't make have the final call making the decisions? Not, not on the business decisions, Obviously. not on the banking decisions yes. or on the payment decisions. Uh-huh. And that, that Again, uh-huh. we couldn't even intervene on that because we had no say in their business, yes. their private business, right? Uh-huh. So, um, so, so that was an issue. And, and the other thing is, you know, I think to Jamie's credit, uh-huh. he that business wouldn't have been as successful as it was for the short period it was successful uh-huh. when it was worth two hundred and eighty-five million dollars at one point, <laughs> if it wasn't for Jamie. Yes. I mean, Jamie is the most amazing digital evangelist, mm-hmm. I reckon, in this country, almost. Yeah, he's actually. Um... It's quite pivotal in terms of blockchain in Australia and was on every stage talking about blockchain across the world for that period of time and um, getting to meet him, know him and understand what he's all about. Yeah, Yeah, he was was like, it was guru status for a period of time. Yes, it was, yeah. And the only person who I think comes Uh close to him in the blockchain space Uh now in Australia is Steve Vallis at Blockchain APAC, Uh um, who's another really good mate of mine. But, um, but, But when you look at what he did, I think that was significant. So the first learning is the control piece. The second learning is then the assignment of the roles and understanding yes. what mattered mm-hmm. to us as mm-hmm. opposed to what mattered from a commercial sense for that Understand. business to be successful. Yep. Um, the next thing I think was, um, and this is a big learning for me, is about where you make promises and how you uh-huh. make promises and the level of assurance you get before promises are made publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's been a huge learning for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one I think is being able to delineate between um, MVP, not even MVP. It's more about base level product yes. at market, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, where you, when, and where you need to invest in the bells and whistles, and mm-hmm. what kind of triggers need to be met before you start working on V two, mm-hmm. before you've appropriately validated V one. Um, and then, and then there are others around, you know, specifically who we chose. 
understand that. So, interesting how, like in the startup space and when we're building technology, we can get led by opportunity. I think this may have played out a little bit here. So it's clear an opportunity came to your door from a corporate perspective and it was something you couldn't deal with. Um, but sometimes I think being true to who we are yep. can actually... Had we just said, no, we're not yeah. interested, none of it would happen. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And it, well, you might have been in a very different position from my vote perspective. We would. Um, but in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. But I think when we look at opportunity, we just need to assess we're not cutting ourselves off from yeah. where, we're, where we're basically... And so... The vision was, yeah, what direction and we're that's going. It. And so Hamish, yeah. my co-founder, the yeah. way he describes this, uh-huh. which I think is an appropriate way to describe yeah. it, is that we were... Yeah you know, we were too pure. We were trying to be too pure. So we saw this opportunity externally from the corporate market and we were going, wow, that's a way to potentially fund the not-for-profit, but we can't do it. Uh So let's spin it out, Mm -hmm. keep it completely arm's length so nobody could say that the corporate dollar was affecting the way that we were running the democratic platform, Uh Um, but at the same time, hope that the people that we're going to put in that place Mm -hmm. would actually do what they're promising us. Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to be too good and too smart about the way that we did it. Mm -hmm. And in doing it, None of it worked. Yep. All right. So blow up in your face. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, to your point, we either could have said, uh-huh. no, we're not interested in the corporate dollar. Thanks, but no yes. thanks. Somebody will copy us and use uh-huh. their product. Uh-huh. Um, or we could have said, yep. yeah, we're going to spin it out, but we're going to retain a seat on the board to make sure yes. that we get delivered what we want delivered. Mm-hmm. There were lots yeah. of different ways we could have gone, yeah. but we didn't go any yep. of those ways. Mm-hmm. Or we could have just soloed them off, had two versions running, built in my vote and in... And that could have been an option too, and in Horizon State. Yeah, well, look, the, yeah. the other thing is, and, and, and this was kind of at yeah. the point when the price went, I mean, they listed at 15 cents and they yeah. got to 6.95. Yeah, it blew up the dollars, right? <laughs> um, yeah. at, at the point that it was worth 250 plus million yes. US dollars, uh-huh. uh, we were literally begging their CEO yeah. to just sell $50 million worth of coin. Yeah. And saying, build yeah, yourself a runway, yeah. build us a runway yeah. so we know, because you then give us our percentage yes. donated as per the agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew that we had three or four years mm. that we could run really hard in and the government space. A beautiful move at that time. And everybody, yeah. nobody would have, you know, yeah. everybody would have gone, well, that's why you set this up. Yeah. That's, that's the purpose. Uh-huh. But he just refused to do it. Uh, um, okay. And the result of that was we watched it go from 6.95 back to 12 cents. Yes. And, you know, game over mm. at that point. So, okay. um, and, 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 and that's, you know, it's it's been an interesting thing, but for us, uh-huh. even in the rebuild now in the UK yes. and, and India, which uh-huh. are our two biggest markets by far, mm-hmm. um, the other thing that's kind of an advantage for us is that the market has sh- the, the the democratic market has shifted. Mm. So you know, Donald Trump is the greatest gift to my vote that's ever <laughs> happened because he is literally the symbol of everything we have been warning against. Yeah. You know, attacking the media, uh-huh. attacking the judiciary, not yes. having people make decisions based on fact. He's everything that is wrong with mm-hmm. the system, right? Mm. And so conversations that we used to have in America, conversations I used to have with political parties here in uh-huh. Australia, where they go, oh, like it sounds like it's a problem, yeah. but it's not really a problem. Uh-huh. All of those people are now going, it's a problem. Mm. Oh, let's talk. How can we get involved? Because we really need to do something now. Yeah, so there's, there's more awareness now. So it's a, it's a blessing in disguise. Yeah. So in terms of that, so now you've come all this way. How many years have you been working on MyVote? Since 2006, it's seven, was it conceptualized? A long time. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> so in terms of where it is now, do yeah. you believe that, um, obviously you had the tech problems, which I didn't really know about this and I'm not sure how many people know about it. No, no, nobody really. Nobody knows. knows. So it's interesting to actually talk about how it all played out. Um, from the outside looking in, my just looking in, I assumed my vote just turned into Horizon State 
because so you could commercialize it yeah. had no real context of what was going on um now in terms of all this sort of stuff was happening you sort of went along from the technology play horizon state sort of blew up and then came back to earth that's no longer exists anymore mm-hmm. i know that someone else has taken over it from what i've seen yeah so uh, that's a whole other conversation yeah, as well we won't dig into that it's um, probably not too important yes look there, there are a yeah. group of original yeah. coin holders who okay. have bought that ip okay um okay. I think they're intending to commercialise yes. it under a new name uh-huh. as it was, the effectively the same yeah. business proposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Interestingly, uh, a number of those people were, you know, super my vote supporters. Not one has reached out to do a deal with us and say, we want you yes. back in the fold or we want you to use the platform. Interesting. And as a result, we're building our own platform. We won't okay. be using Horizon State or whatever okay. V2 is of what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, uh-huh. You know, they can build for their market to make yes. money. We're building to... Mm-hmm. solve democracy yeah and that's a great place to stand at least and now you own the technology again yeah uh, about a controlled direction of it so and if you've had i think one of the things that this conversation links towards if you've created a big vision and you've brought on so many people along the journey and some you've a good quality of people and jamie for example philanthropists coming on board donating to an organization and wanting to see the vision roll out uh, I think it's quite a powerful position to be in and still, given what ha- has happened in the past, you're still in a position of we're still moving forward, we're still able to build this thing and we're still pushing to make change. And yeah. I think it's quite a powerful place uh, to be in. I think that's yeah. right. Uh-huh. Uh, there, there is, there is a, one final additional yeah. element, which again uh-huh. was part of the learning from everything yeah. that's happened. Uh-huh. So if you look around the ecosystem, there are lots of really interesting technological interventions to, dev, uh, to DemTech and GovTech. Yep. Um, they all take a slightly different approach. Uh-huh. They all, um, you know, some will have technology first approach, some will have ecosystem design approach, mm-hmm. um, but they all have different interventions. And one of the things for me that's been um, a pivotal shift in my thinking, where for so many years um, my priority was about promoting a, a very specific single model that that I was largely responsible for designing, not completely, but largely responsible okay. um, for designing, um, and that we were, you know, I was I was this the entrepreneur, I was the founder, and so I was pitching my business effectively, even though it was not for profit. I understand. I've kind of shifted somewhat um, philosophically on this now, um, and I am more interested in the entire ecosystem moving forward together as a unified approach to solving this problem mm-hmm. than any one particular brand being the, you know, inverted commas winner. Yes. And and so one of the things I'm working on at the university, in fact, it's mm-hmm. kind of my major project at the moment. Mm-hmm. I suspect it will take me 12 to 18 months to build, but um, I'm getting incredible traction at the moment, including very high profile universities overseas and governments mm-hmm. and stuff, um, is to actually build a research center of excellence, a research institute, specifically for digital governance and leadership. Okay. Um, so that actually all of the different players in this space, mm-hmm. and that my vote will not be welcome in that group mm-hmm. um, unless it pays its way like everybody else, but, um, but the intent is that the ecosystem has a single credible destination that we can explore and research ways that technology can enhance government decision-making, um, participatory democracy, mm. um, participatory budgeting, um, exposure um, of truth and data to the public. So there are like 40 different research areas that we can really drill down to. Mm-hmm. 
and provide a place where all of us in this environment mm. can work to the same outcome and help each other rather than compete with each other. And I think until we get to that point where the t- you know rising tide lifts all boats, mm. um, we're not going to get anywhere because it's such a big challenge to move these ecosystems mm. and to have governments make structural pivots mm-hmm. that mean they have less power than they once did. That There's no one group who's going to be able to do it on their own. That's kind of been the big realisation for me. Okay, so... You're in a position where you've come to the, the the understanding that my vote may not be able to deliver this impact that you're looking for. How I, do you I think bring... it can in some places, yeah. but it won't it won't yeah. have the mass change. So your now objective is to bring together universities across the globe. No, not universities across uh-huh. the globe. So so uh-huh. our university with one or two other university yes. partners uh-huh. will build a research institute uh-huh. that enables technologists and innovators, yes. governments researchers to come together Mm -hmm. to fix these problems collectively Collectively. Mm. and to test each other's ideas and so one group out of brazil might say look we're doing it this way and then we can look at some of their technology and go we could put that in over here and and Mm. have you considered doing this because over there they're doing it this way and and actually sharing this stuff in a single destination Mm. that is credible that is researched properly and validated properly Uh so that when we go to governments and say here's a way to do it it's not just technologists and startup yeah, founders it's actually we've had this validated by the best researchers in the world in this mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. and this is how it needs to be rolled yeah. out and this is how you're going to yeah. defray these risks so uh, uh, from where i'm looking stepping back you're still on the on the vision of solving democracy and how we actually structure it and the learning through this is my vote came about and it still will operate and run and try and make an impact turned into Horizon State, which sort of shifted that, now coming to a research centre in a different way to solve that problem. So you're on a journey of actually solving the same problem still. And and Hamish and I said, you know, many, many, many years ago, we said this was a marathon, it's not a sprint. And and look, this could be a 50-year exercise, right? But but we believe, and and Uh many of the people who are with us Mm. believe, and and now universities that I'm talking to around the world and governments believe that this is a a critical need. It is... Uh There has never been a greater need Mm. for this kind of intervention. Mm -hmm. Technology now provides a vehicle to do it well. Um, What we need is credible Mm -hmm. testing to make sure that all of the the non-expected ramifications of these interventions Mm -hmm. are are better understood. Uh So we understand the downflow risks Mm -hmm. of doing these interventions. Um, but but yeah, I mean, we'll just keep going until we fix it. (laughs) I love it. So in terms of... um, to give some, obviously this conversation is really top level, um, but also so much detail around the complexities of what a, a startup can be and someone trying to make such a big impact. So this conversation might and might not be for everybody, but if you're out there looking to make a big shift and a pivotal impact on an ecosystem, on um, an economy at scale, what do you recommend to people out there that are looking to make these big shifts in such structured formations that it's so difficult to get into what do you do where, where do you start what do you do how so, have you gone about this yeah so i mean i i don't think it's different to any yeah. any startup in yeah. as much as you have to be able uh-huh. to early yes. define what success looks like yes and so you know over the next six months uh-huh. what does a win look like yep. well it might just be you know building mm-hmm. the the 
basic architecture. Mm. And then in a year, what does success look like? It might be that front end is done and you have user testing going. Mm. And so, you know, particularly when you're looking for large scale change, you need to be able to map the milestones mm-hmm. because if all you're if all you're doing is measuring yourself against changing the world, uh-huh. you know, you're on a hiding to nothing, right? Ninety nine point nine percent of people yeah. are going to drop out before they yeah. get to that point if yeah. they ever reach that point. Yeah, um, it, it really is about mapping milestones and finding wins. Uh-huh. It's about celebrating the successes when they happen, mm-hmm. but being clear mm-hmm. that there is a bigger objective that we're all working towards. Um, one of the lessons for us at, through, as we've discussed, is knowing when to say no and knowing yes. how not to get distracted by shiny objects that come into yes. view. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the other thing I think is about, um, from a technical perspective, um, sort of it's, it's, it's that thing where you don't try and do too much right now. Mm. It's better to get it in market and validate and have people want to use it mm-hmm. and iterate from there uh-huh. than try and build the perfect product and then launch it, and that takes you three years, and in fact, it costs more money than you think, and, and technology changes from the time that you started it, and so you've now got to rework what you can and can't do, and yes. the price of coin has changed, uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff. So so just, you know, it's more about doing than it is about uh-huh. the vision stuff, yes. but pinning yourself to a final successful vision. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, and this is a, this is a non-technical question, uh, or non-technical answer, but I think it's highly relevant for, for tech businesses, uh-huh. um, is you have to understand, um, this would be advice to any founder, you have to understand uh, where within your ecosystem um, peripheral allies exist. Okay. And so it might be that they're not direct customers or it might be, you know, they're not direct technicians, Mm. but uh, they are critical to the ecosystem in which you operate. And being able to find a relationship with those groups uh-huh. can usher you through and navigate complexities that as a small startup, you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And so there may be no mm-hmm. direct um, measurable benefit mm-hmm. that you can go back to your board and say, well, we're, we're partnering with X because of Y. Yes. But to understand the way the system actually works as uh-huh. opposed to the way that it looks like it works uh-huh. means that you understand that that becomes an important relationship or an important pathway in our space that's critically important because mm-hmm. politics is so relationship based and so network based yes to you know to get into doors that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get into i can tell you as an example i met with one political leader um, whose own major donors were desperate for them not to meet me just desperate they don't want but we found a pathway through a relationship mm. that could make it happen independent yes. of what those donors wanted. Uh-huh. And so if you if you hadn't done the ecosystem mapping mm. for a reasonable period of time to understand it, mm. you wouldn't necessarily have been able to navigate that little piece. Um, and so it's just constant learning and curiosity and asking questions mm-hmm. and turning over rocks and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So in terms of understanding that ecosystem, how did you go about that? Did you bring people that understood that into the organization or just no. reached out and asked a lot of questions? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's yeah. why it took so long yeah. in the front end. So, yeah. you know, the years of research that we did was because we had literally thousands of conversations. So, um, and, you know, every next the next conversation gave you an insight that you didn't have before you walked into the room. Mm-hmm. And it contextualizes some of the conversations you've had yes. before and helps frame questions for the ones you're going to have coming up. It's all learning. It's all learning, it's evolving, all of it's gathering there. information, research, and treat it as research. Because yeah. 
I think people are, are fearful of getting out into the marketplace, but that's where you need to be, uh, and asking questions of customers, even potential stakeholders. Yeah. You don't can... ship, you don't earn. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you focus on just building a product and trying to get that out into the marketplace, it's a lot harder to sell a product to someone you've never spoken to um, and hasn't been involved in that process to begin with. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think, you know, I, I, and I understand why, but I think uh-huh. for founders and having been a founder eight times, yeah. um, there is a fear in putting forward an idea that other people shoot down. Yes. But if the intent is to solve a problem as opposed yeah. to show how smart you are with your idea and it helps you solve the problem better, then you should be embracing those conversations mm. and saying, actually, I want you to pick this apart. Uh-huh. So with my vote, one of the things we did with the former Prime Minister of Australia was say to him, we want you to go to town on this. Try and break it. Mm-hmm. Ask any question you want about you know, how it operates because we want to make it the best it can possibly be. Okay. And we want to understand the bits that we don't currently understand so that if we put it in the market, mm. it's robust. Get the it. worst thing for us would have been to convince everybody that it works, put it in the market, have missed something, and it actually makes things worse, mm. right? That was the, the thing we, particularly Hamish, <laughs> was most scared of, understand. right? That yep. we would actually be a contributor to it getting worse. And so yeah. the way that you have to combat that is mm-hmm. to literally pick it apart 360 degrees yes. and go, oh, now who can we talk to that understands that bit really well? Mm. Or this bit under here or that bit over that little ridge that we yes. haven't really prosecuted yet. And how can we get in and speak to people who can go, listen, that's great, but you've totally missed that point. You don't understand how that bit works yet. Yep. Or yeah, it's notionally right, but practically you don't understand mm. how that gets delivered. And so that the way you're pr- proposing it can't actually constitutionally happen. And so it's just to understand those bits become really important. I think what you've sort of said there is to be the explorer, not to own an idea and then that's ours and we're putting it into a marketplace, but explore. The, and I think you mentioned around the problem. Um, and if you put focus on problem, you'll very easily let go of your own ideas yeah. and allow your or the concept to evolve itself um, through the feedback loop, right? And if we can be open to feedback loop and not let... And I have to be able to let go of our baby. I think sometimes we can get a little bit stuck on the tech yep. and what we're building. If we can just let go of that, throw that out the window, focus on the problem and get people outside of our network to actually help build a product, you're on a better journey. A hundred percent. And I think the reality of anything uh-huh. that gets built to scale, yeah. any kind of business that goes mm-hmm. to scale, and I've, I've had... Um, I founded three businesses yeah. that have been in the Fast 50 and I was the CEO yes. of the fastest growing private company in the country in oh, 2010 wow. for mm-hmm. under 100 million. Yes. And any business that grows quickly mm. has to be, in essence, bigger than, than the individual leading it, right? Mm-hmm. That's particularly the case for a social impact business. Yes. So if you are not building for your own redundancy, mm-hmm. there's no way you can scale. You know, It has to be bulletproof beyond you. Um, that the, the idea has to be more solid. The yes. product needs to be more solid. The market needs to be more solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience and engagement and community needs to be more solid mm-hmm. because no one person can be the justification for an ecosystem existing. Because right? we're only here for a short period <laughs> exactly. of time. And yeah. so if it is predicated on you, mm-hmm. then it'll never be long-term success. It'll never be sustainable. I think what you sort of said around you're trying to impact social um, and make that, and that takes it off you because it's got nothing to do with you. And a philanthropist putting money in because he believes that something needs to change uh, and gets involved in what you're trying to do there. Um, 
is testament to what you're putting out in the marketplace because no one's going to buy in if you're just trying to be about you and setting up a not-for-profit was a huge decision and I may imagine that was pretty much the only way it was going to be done. You couldn't have a corporate business trying to impact something like this scale. Although so, there are a lot that have tried to do it yeah, in this space and, yeah. and they fail miserably I for that reason why, yeah. because people go, well, who owns this yeah, yeah. and who's benefiting and why are you making that decision? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we don't want people getting um, paid to basically shift the vote and that could happen in some countries I yeah mean, we see it all the time in terms of how that sort of plays out in terms of yeah. there is no democracy in some I countries. mean yeah. there are even yeah. some there are some yeah. tech interventions uh-huh. some reasonably well-known ones here yeah. in Australia uh, who built blockchain based mm. policy platform voting platforms uh-huh. where people could sell their vote I mean how fucking undemocratic is that they can sell you you vote. can actually now, <laughs> That's brilliant. I mean I, I mercilessly <laughs> attacked them yeah. for that and and uh-huh. they've now changed their model yeah. but um, but you know, even the idea of saying, yeah, "Yeah, you know, I'm not an expert, so I'll sell my vote to an expert." Well, all you're doing is, you know, you're creating a hyper environment, yes. a hyper capitalized environment yes. for the very same problem that we have now, which is that vested interest by policy outcome. I think it'll make it worse. It'll make it <laughs> infinitely worse, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and again, yeah. if if you start from a technological yeah. capability perspective, uh-huh. then that becomes a possibility. Yes. If you start from a first principles approach mm-hmm. perspective, which says, "What is democracy meant to do?" Yes then you could never propose that solution oh, okay. because it would not bring you closer to democracy. Correct. And so, again, like all these products, it's where is your starting point? What uh-huh. is your frame of reference? Mm-hmm. What problem are you trying to solve? Mm-hmm. And, are you, and is the intervention genuinely solving that problem mm-hmm. or is it just a display of your own technical proficiency? And they're the sort of ongoing questions. I think that's really good feedback in terms of a different frame of how we might not approach technology first. Um, because in reality, we're building a business model or an ecosystem in your case, um, and it's the technology is just a means to an end. I think people get too caught up in it. We said it at the start of the conversation around, um, we're building a shiny new product that people might buy, but if we focus on why they're gonna buy it, we're probably gonna solve and the business model around that, I think it's a little bit easier to make decisions around what your product should do rather than what you think it might do to make an impact on people buying it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know, there's a there's a really old yeah. quote from I think the 50s or 60s uh-huh. that Alday Stevenson, yeah. American, um, said, uh, you know, an atom is neither good nor bad. The good and bad are in the the souls of men, and that and that's what it is. You know, yeah. I gave a speech in London in October last year at the uh-huh. World's Top 50 Innovators Conference about uh-huh. the ethics of capability. You know, mm-hmm. and that just because we can build things doesn't mean we should build things. Mm-hmm. But if we are going to build things, yes. what are the ethical questions we need to be asking ourselves at the front end mm-hmm. about the ecosystem around the unintended consequences of our capability? Interesting. And so, you know, Facebook, when it came mm-hmm. out, was this amazing opportunity for you to share and be yes. in touch with. And nobody knew it, be, it would be a massive erosion point to democracy. Mm-hmm. Nobody expected that, right? Now, we can see this in hindsight that yes. that's what's happened. Mm-hmm. So when we're building things, what level of ethical consideration needs to be mm-hmm. brought into the design phase and the architecture phase that says, hang on, let's extrapolate this, this out. And if this went as well as it could possibly go, yes. what happens? What, what happens to the social structures, to communication, to people's safety, to privacy? Those are the questions if and, you're building for scale. Yeah, in terms of building for scale, that's a whole strategic up the front uh, piece of work that has to happen and it could take 
years to actually design that depending on how complex your system is and i imagine the level of complexity you've had through the journey of how many silos you're impacting because yep. there's government but there's all these other little bits of detail within oh, that. absolutely huge amount of complexity within that so yep. you need some really good people involved in that process we might end this here adam just one last question you've obviously had so much experience from the journey of entrepreneurial journeys throughout the throughout your time what are some key learnings that you've taken through successes? Um, let's look at successes that you've had across those journeys to jump into early stage um, ecosystems. How do you position yourself? Because you seem to be positioning yourself up front on waves. Um, where do you, how do you do that? And what do you think about when you're jumping into a new startup? Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, look, I, I think there are just... Self-awareness is really important yep. in, in general. Uh-huh. Know what you don't, you know, know what you know, and be really upfront about what you don't know, uh-huh. um, and mm-hmm. and f- try and figure out the things that you don't know. How many of them really actually matter? Yes. And if they matter, then make it your business to learn mm-hmm. about them. Okay. Is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's critically important um, to let your values be sort of your your, your business card, uh-huh. and that you you have to lead ethically wherever yes. you can. Um, and that whatever you stand for is what people should reputationally hold you to. Mm-hmm. And so um, to me, that's really important because I work in the social space. Um, for me, it's always start with the problem. And if you can't identify the problem, I mean, Einstein said it, you know, yeah. if you, you can't say it simply, you don't understand it well mm-hmm. enough, right? Um, and, I, and I try and reinforce that with all of the startup founders that I work with. Mm-hmm. What's the problem you're solving? Why are you the right ones to solve it? Yes. Why is what you're offering unique in the market? Why should anybody want to buy it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you have to be able to answer those things. Mm-hmm. So okay. the what, the, the what, the why, and the how. Mm. Um, and then I think the other thing is that um, you need to be honest about why you're doing things. So you okay. know, I, I tend to, to be kind of a social innovation warrior, but but for a lot of people, that's not that doesn't interest them, and that's fine. You know, yeah. I have no interest, no issue with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're there to make money, mm-hmm. be very frank about that. We're here to make money. That's why we structured the business the way that we have. Yes. That's why the business model is is the way it's that it is, is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just be upfront and authentic and genuine with mm-hmm. people. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. whether it's community building or whether it's commercialization, uh-huh. um, the more people can trust that what they're hearing is the truth, mm-hmm. the more cut through you will get in general, in, yes. every, in every way. And so if it's unashamedly about making money, then, then let it be that. But at least people will know what they're getting into. Um, and, and you attract people of like mind. Yeah, people That's... just want auth- authenticity yeah, most of the time. Correct. Um, and then the other thing I think is really, you know, it's really about the people that you surround yourself with. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's gap filling in, in, in some regards, mm-hmm. but it's really about um, who is on this journey with you, not who wants a job, mm-hmm. not who has technical expertise. Mm-hmm. But if you're a startup founder, who is on this journey? Who actually believes in it as much as you believe in it? Um, and yes, you might be rewarded slightly better than they are, or yes. maybe not, depending upon how uh-huh. you structure your business. Uh-huh. Um, but but those people are worth their weight in gold because when it gets hard, and it invariably will get hard, they're the people who are going to stick with you and work, you know, no matter what. Um, and and that's a huge lesson for me through my vote. That you know, I had a number of startups and we used to pay people really well. Yes. But they were nine to five people, mm-hmm. and they were very good at what they did, but it was a job. Understand. And then I went into my vote and I had people who were paid nothing and they worked harder than anybody I'd ever met in my life. And you'd be going, this is so counterintuitive that I'm not paying them anything and I've never been able to rely on people more. Interesting. But it's because they were on the journey. They, were, they yeah. believed in it as much as Hamish and I believed in it. How did you attract those people? 
Uh, look, I think I think it comes down to it wasn't about us. I, yeah. I think it's it's about the vision. It's mm-hmm. about people going, you know, like that guy who sent us that first forty thousand dollar check. Yeah. It's, that's the vision of the future that I want to live in. Get it? it has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, and and it might have been that we got to a point where we had hundreds of volunteers, and they said, actually, you and Hamish are shit house. You're yeah. not the right people to make that vision happen. <laughs> um, yeah. We're gonna boot you out the side door. Yes. And 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 honestly, Hamish and I would have gone if it means that the thing's gonna work. We would have just walked out the Friday. That's how much we believe in the vision, right? And so people, it's about presenting an alternative future, mm-hmm. an alternative solution mm-hmm. to the problem. Yes. And people going, yeah, I, that, that's the way to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm fully in on that. It's, we might leave it there, Adam. I think today you shared some interesting insights with people that are pretty much founders of businesses. And the, the objective of this podcast is to help non-techs really get clarity on you're probably focusing the right area. Um, don't shift your focus just to the technology. And yep. don't bring on, I think one of the last things you said was people that are just there because they're technically sound, but people that are gonna buy into your vision, what your future looks like, and wanna be a part of that journey. So Adam, how can people reach out, get in touch with you? I know you- Twi- Twitter's the best Twitter's way, best. as okay. long as you can yep. stand my usual political <laughs> rants. Um, yep. So that's Adam A. Jacoby, yep. that's my Twitter. Um, you can yep. find me on LinkedIn, yep. also Adam A. Jacoby, uh-huh. um, or you can you know, do your very best to mm-hmm. navigate your way through the Swinburne uh, Rolodexes and find me and there. You've got an accelerator and stuff there. Can you tell people about that? Yeah, we've, got a, we've got a pre-accelerator. Yeah. We've got a, oh, so yeah, look, yeah. Um, it is yeah. just because of coronavirus. So everything's yeah, okay. kind of at the university on hold at the moment. I understand. Yeah. Um, but yes, we have an accelerator that would ordinarily be starting yes. next month in May. Uh-huh. Um, we've done a deal with uh, United Nations Australia. Uh, I can't talk about the That's full okay. nature, but we'll be running uh-huh. other accelerators with them. Um, and um, yeah, so pre-accelerators, accelerators, masterclasses, lots of opportunity to work with startup mentors, business yes. leaders. Um, so if you want to reach out to the Swinburne Innovation Precinct, by all means, look for me there. Um, you can always find me if you wander the halls of that building. I'll be around. Oh, perfect, Adam. I appreciate you coming in today and just sharing your journey, what it's been like over the course of your... You've been an entrepreneur for many years now in terms of nine startups it's been. So yeah, it's really good to hear from people that have done this over and over again. Some successful, some still working towards success. But I think one of the key takeaways for me is persistence. And if you believe enough in that vision, you'll persist no matter what the outcome looks like or no matter what direction you're going to take. So thanks for sharing. Well, thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks.